Thank you, Kirk, and thank you for being here tonight. We appreciate so much your presence. We're always glad for the opportunity to be together on Sunday evening. Very grateful for those of you that chose to come back. I appreciate Jared preaching in my absence this morning. I was in Chapman, Mississippi, which is not far from Boonville, and I was thinking a minute ago, if somebody had dropped me out of an airplane in Chapman, Mississippi, I would have never made my way back home. I had the opportunity to follow Raymond and Olita, and I said they're not a crook, there's not a straight road on the island of Jamaica. And I'm not sure there's a straight road to uh, Chapman, Mississippi, but I did make it, and I made it back, and grateful to be back. And appreciate Jared preaching this morning, and very grateful for all that he does. We are looking at Acts chapter 17 in our study tonight. And the songs that we have been singing together remind us of the importance of, a be, of being evangelistic. And so tonight we're going to be talking about that. Uh, I do want to make mention, I think school begins, what, in another week? So we've got a lot, of, a lot of folks that will be going back to school here in the next week or so. And so we, we certainly want to keep all of our young people in our prayers. Some will be going back to college very soon. Uh, some for the first time. And so it's our prayer that this, this will be a great year. And I know that uh, any time a new year starts, it's always somewhat exciting, but uh, there can be some anxiety. And so we pray that it'll be a great year, a lot of learning, and hopefully and prayerfully at the end of the year, uh, you can look back and say, it's been a great experience. So tonight we look at Acts chapter 17. I want us to think for a minute or two about the Apostle Paul and how he viewed the lost. Paul was concerned about lost people, and I think that is... Christians, we too need to be concerned about the lost. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That is not an option, but rather it is a command. The Lord wants us to be interested in people who are outside the realm of spiritual safety. So when you go back and you look at the first century church, one of the things that stands out is the fact that these people were evangelistic. They genuinely believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He rose from the dead. And on the basis of those great facts, they were willing to do whatever to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. And you can read of the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul. There are some three missionary tours recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. Wherever the Apostle Paul went, he sought to do one thing, and that was to share the gospel. And so what I want to encourage us to do is to think about those who are outside the realm of spiritual safety, those who are lost and dying in sin, and to do our best to reach them with the power of the gospel of Christ because it is life-altering. And the beauty of the gospel is that it can heal broken lives. And there are a lot of people in our world today that need the gospel. And the sad fact of the matter is, as Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the remedy for a lost and dying world is the blood of Christ. And so what we want to do is to make every effort so that people can have the opportunity to hear the gospel. We have no control over what people do with the gospel. But we do have the control when it comes to spreading the seed of the kingdom. And so we want to do our best in that respect. And I think about our individual faith. Somebody said on one occasion, a faith worth having is a faith worth sharing. And I think that's true. If you have faith in God 
and you love the Lord and you're grateful for all that he has done for you in your life, then certainly you want to do your best to share it with others. You remember Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 11, many, many years ago, he that wins souls is wise. And so the wisdom of reaching out to those who are lost and dying in sin. So tonight I want us to look at Acts 17. In Acts chapter 17, we have a record of the apostle Paul. He has spent some time in Thessalonica. And Paul would later write to the saints in the city of Thessalonica. And Paul, as his custom was, went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them about the resurrected Christ. The charge was made in the city of Thessalonica that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And so Paul and his cohorts were run out of town. They then made their way down to the city of Berea. And there they shared the gospel and the Bible speaks of those in Berea as being more noble or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and the Bible says they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. I think it's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul was an inspired man and yet these people took the time to verify what he said against the scriptures. And so if they checked out the Apostle Paul, by all, men, by all means, we ought, to, we ought to be more than willing to verify what we hear with what the Bible has to say. From Berea, the text tells us that Paul then makes his way to the city of Athens. And while in Athens, he received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed. And the Bible says they departed. So in verse 16, we have the Apostle Paul making his way into this culturally elite center. As a matter of fact, the Grecian Empire made a tremendous impact on what we call Western civilization. And you think about all of the many facets of Greece and the philosophers and the artifacts and all of the different things that made Greece a cultural empire in its day. And so the Bible tells us that when the Apostle Paul arrived in the city of Athens, that his spirit was provoked or stirred, and the word really means to exasperate, to burn with anger. And the reason was because he noted that the people in Athens were given over to idolatry. So I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about Paul was concerned, was concerned about sharing the gospel with the lost. And I think it's reflected in verse 16. Listen to what Luke says. When Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked or stirred within him when he saw that the city was given over to, to idols or to idolatry. Now you think about his concern for the lost and the fact that internally he was burning with rage because he recognized that here is a city that is filled with rampant idolatry. Some have said in days gone by, it was easier to find an idol in the city of Athens than to find a man. Idolatry was rampant. It was everywhere. And so as Paul makes his way into this great city, that's what stands out to him. And so in light of his concern, and I think about the concern that we ought to have in sharing the gospel of Christ, two things. First, I want to accentuate the desirability of the soul. The desirability of the soul. 
In other words, the soul is of great intrinsic worth, isn't it? Have you ever thought about the fact that the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, validates the worth of the soul, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. Those of us who belong to the human family, we are the crown of God's creation. God made us in his image and in, in his own likeness. And so as his creation, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that creation succumbed to temptation, thereby introducing sin into the world. Because of sin, man became separated from his God. And yet God, because of his abundant love and mercy, devised a plan to save the human family. And what does that say to me? It says that my soul, your soul, the souls that populate the world are of great, great value. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, Paul said, When we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, But God commendeth his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you think about the worth of the human soul. When Jesus went to Golgotha, when he was crucified on Calvary, that signified to the world that every single person is of great value. Your soul is worth more than all the world has to offer. Do you remember Jesus asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Paul was concerned about the lost and I think one of the reasons is because he understood something about the desirability of the human soul. The fact that the worth of the soul validated by the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross God in heaven must have loved us immensely. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he did. You know, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John said, God is love. And because of that great love, he sent his son, and his son was willing to come and live and die for our sins. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. And then I think not just about the desirability of the soul, but the durability of the soul. You see, the fact of the matter is the soul will live forever, won't it? There was a time when we were not, but now because we exist, there will never be a time when we are not. We will exist forever, won't we? And so you think about the duration of the soul. The fact that your soul, my soul, will one day reside, hopefully and prayerfully, in heaven. There are only two possibilities. Either we can spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And so the Bible speaks of the duration of the soul, and the Bible also speaks of the destiny of the soul. In Matthew chapter 25, we read of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, talking about his second coming. And he talked about when he would come with all his holy angels, and he said he would be seated upon the throne of his glory. All nations would be brought before him. And he said he would begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, he would say, come, enter into the joys prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the left hand, he will say, depart from me, you cursed, 
into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so you think about the fact that one day your soul, my soul, will reside somewhere. So that ought to say something to us about how we ought to be concerned about not just our soul, but the souls of those that we come in, into contact with on a daily basis. Think about all the people that live in this community, that live in the city of Olive Branch. And then add to that the number of people that live in the state of Mississippi. Add to that the number of people that live in America. And you're talking about millions upon millions of people. Paul, wherever he went, sought to make a difference. And the reason was because he was concerned about the lost. He was concerned about sharing the gospel with the lost. And so, as Luke says, when he got to Athens and he looked around and saw the idolatry that was so prevalent, then he was provoked to anger. Anger at what? No doubt anger at the idolatry that had been introduced to these people. And you think about the devil. The devil is doing everything that he can to take people captive into a life of sin. So when we talk about idolatry, immorality, or whatever it may be, the bottom line is the devil is one behind it. And so what the Bible does is unmask the devil so that we might gain insight into his work, into his tactics, so to speak. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, Paul was concerned about sharing the gospel with the lost. Secondly, Paul was committed to sharing the gospel with the lost. Now, his commitment was deep. I mean, you think, you think about here as a guy that was willing to suffer come what may for the cause of Christ. I can't begin to imagine some of the difficulties and trials and tribulations that the Apostle Paul experienced in his missionary endeavors. I can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul talks about the numerous difficulties that were imposed upon him as he sought to share the gospel of Christ. So, what about his commitment level? Listen, if you would, to what Luke has to say concerning his work in the city of Athens. Look at verse 17. The Bible says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Paul, as his custom was, upon entering a city would immediately look for a synagogue because a ready-made audience would be there for the taking. He could go to the synagogue, he could begin sharing with them something about the Christ, the Son of God, and point out to these people that had been the custodians of the law that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the Messiah, the Anointed One, that He had come to the world, and that He was now the Savior of the world. So Paul spent time in the synagogue, and then note, if you would, what is said. He also spent time in the marketplace, daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Let me just pause here and talk first about his methodology. Paul was what I would call a pragmatist. In other words, what works? Paul was looking for opportunities. 
And so if the synagogue was available, then he went to the synagogue. If it happened to be that people were assembling in the marketplace, then that's where you, where you would find the apostle Paul. Paul went to places where people were. Now think again about the Great Commission. What was it Jesus said? Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Mark said, go therefore, preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is spelled G-O-S-P-E-L. There is go in the gospel, isn't it? So what Jesus is saying is we must go to the world. We can't expect the world to come to us. And I would add this. Should we be surprised when people are living in idolatry and immorality and living in sin and unrighteousness? Should that surprise us? What do sinners do? You ever thought about what do sinners do? They sin, don't they? Should we be surprised when sinners engage in worldly things? Of course not. Why? Because that's what they do. And so what we have to do is to recognize that the gospel is intended to better their lives. Look, if we better the lives of people, we better a city, don't we? If we better cities, then we can better a state. If we better states, we can better a nation, can't we? So Paul went to places where the people were. By way of his methodology, I think about the places where he taught. And then I think about the people, the people that he taught. Now listen again, he went to the Jews, he went to Gentile people, I would think about proselytes to the Jewish religion. He's in the marketplace and he's dealing with some of the philosophers of that day and time. You have first the Epicureans. The Epicureans were followers of Epicurus. And their philosophy was you maximize pleasure and you minimize pain. Now we live in a day and time when people, that's maybe not necessarily what they are following by way of the Epicurean philosophy. Maybe it's not something that's known to them, but that's really what they're adhering to. Do we not live in a culture today that says maximize pleasure, minimize pain, it's all about me, it's all about gratification and enjoyment, etc. in life? Sure. Well, these people were no different than we today. So that was the thrust of their life. And then you have the Stoics. The Stoics were followers of Zeno. And they believed that the world was governed by Zeus, the so-called father of gods and men. It's interesting that neither the Epicureans nor the Stoics believed in the immortality of the soul. And what was it Paul preached to them? Jesus and the resurrection. So think about it. Here's the Apostle Paul. He's in Athens. He goes to the religious center, which is the synagogue. And then he's out in the marketplace. And Zeno was said to have taught in one of the porches in the marketplace. The word stoic means porches. And so Paul is right out among those people. What's he trying to do? He's trying to share with them the gospel of Christ. So you think about the places where he went. And then the people, the places where he taught, the people that he taught, 
you've got a cross culture of people, don't you? I mean, you've got people that are religious, that are steeped in Judaism. You've got some that have proselyted to the Jewish religion. And then you have philosophers who had propagated their so-called philosophy among those who were a part of the Grecian culture. And so you have this, I guess we would say, melting pot of people. So, what do you talk about? Listen again to what Luke says. Look at verse 18. They said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. The focal point of his preaching and teaching was whom? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now you think about the Grecian mindset and the fact that they revered these so-called gods. And here is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about Jesus, the God-man, right? The God who became flesh. And so he is bringing something new to their ears because the Bible says in verse 21, the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So what they're hearing about Jesus, no doubt, must have been riveting. They wanted to hear more. If somebody, and, and let me just pause here and say this. In this day and time in America, we can't assume that people know what we know about Jesus. There are a lot of people in this, in this country that know very, very little about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. So when you ask the question, what do you think about Jesus, you need to understand they may not know anything about him. The Bible introduces us to Jesus. So where would you start? You remember in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch? This man was a religious man. He was reading Isaiah 53. He had been a proselyte to the Jewish religion. He's reading Isaiah 53. And the Bible says that when Philip encountered him, he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? And his response was, how can I accept some man guide me? Philip gets up into the chariot and beginning at that same scripture, he preached unto him, Jesus, we've got to take people where they are and then teach them. If somebody knows nothing about Jesus, we've got to go back and talk about his preexistent nature. The fact that he is a part of the Godhead, that he has always existed. And then to talk about God's redemptive plan involved Jesus becoming human flesh. As John said in John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said, we beheld his glory. Glory as the only, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To recognize that Jesus Christ is not known by everyone in this country. As hard as that may be to believe. It's true. So you think about the focal point of his message. If somebody were to ask you about Jesus today, what would you tell them? Where would you start? Wouldn't you start with his identity, something about him? Would you go back and talk about his preexistent state, then his virgin birth, his boyhood, and then begin with his ministry and talk about how Jesus spent some three years on planet Earth 
pointing people to the kingdom of God that he would establish and that Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, that that was his mission to seek and to save the lost. But note not only his focus in preaching, but note if you would, the facts of his preaching. Luke said that the apostle Paul preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. What was it? We noted a moment ago about the Epicureans and Stoics. They did not believe in the immortality of the soul. You remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And yet the book of Acts, over and over again, we have individuals preaching and teaching about whom? About the resurrected Christ. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Jesus showed himself alive by many unmistakable proofs being seen by them for 40 days. Acts chapter two, the apostle Peter preached the resurrected Christ. Acts chapter three, verse 15, the apostle Peter pointed out that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Acts chapter four, again, emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That is a cardinal doctrine of the New Testament. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. Without it, we're, we're lost. We have no hope. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain. He said, we're still in sin. We are of all men most pitiable. The resurrection is fundamental to Christianity. So to these people that did not know anything about Jesus, knew nothing about the resurrection, what's he doing? He's preaching to them about the resurrection of Christ. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul points out that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Fundamental. So, you have Paul's commitment to sharing the gospel with the lost. But then, there's a third thing I want to share with you. And that is, Paul was confident in sharing the gospel with the lost. He was confident. Now, look with me if you would at verse 22. In verse 22, we find the Apostle Paul in the midst of the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was an elevated place and you could ascend to the Areopagus by way of rock stairs. And it was a place for the Grecian Supreme Court. That's where they held their meetings. And those, those meetings would have to do with civil affairs as well as religious affairs. So here's the Apostle Paul. He now has a ready-made audience. And you think about his, his confidence. We've, we've talked about his concern. We've talked about his commitment. But what about his confidence? I believe the Apostle Paul believed in the power of God's word. Paul understood that we have no control over what people do with the gospel, do we? Paul would say to the Corinthians many, many years ago, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God did. We have no control over what people do with the gospel. So the Bible says that Paul, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and here's what he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through 
And considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Concerned that they might have overlooked some unknown God, they had an altar erected that was inscribed with the words to the unknown God. And so what did Paul do? He took that and used it as a springboard to reveal to these people the one true living God, didn't he? And there's some things about God that the apostle Paul shared with these people in Athens. So listen to what he says. God who made the world and everything in it. What does that say to us? It says something about his omnipotence, doesn't it? The fact that he is all powerful, that God is, 